This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of the monkey and the turtle from Philippine folklore. We'll see how monkeys are bad at sustainable farming and learn why you don't want to know what's in that jerky you're eating. Or maybe you do, but you probably don't. The creature this week is the loathly worm, and it's one more reason to kiss a dragon on the mouth. Not sure why that's become a thing on this podcast lately, but it has. This is Myths and Legends, episode 133, Monkey Business. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is a Philippine fable, first published in the English language in 1889 by Jose Rizal. It's considered by many to be the first formal beginning of Philippine children's literature, and the story itself comes from the Ilyoko people in the Philippines. When you hear the words like fable, monkey, and turtle, you might think about stories like the tortoise and the hare, tales where the seemingly weaker creature outwits some physically strong antagonist. I won't say you're necessarily wrong here, but if you're not familiar with this particular story, you're in for some shocking surprises. This is one you don't want to miss. Along the bank lined with tropical trees, Monkey trudged along, grumbling with every step. His tail dragged lifelessly behind, leaving a faint trail in the sand. A dark stone caught Monkey's eye, and he kicked it angrily into the water as he passed. With a sigh, he hung his head, shushed the gurgle from his empty stomach, and continued on. Just up ahead, where the path began to narrow, a rustling of leaves and a faint whistling began. Monkey paused mid-step, watching as the large turtle meandered from the foliage. Slowly, the turtle looked fondly across and down the river, before noticing the sad monkey approaching. Oh, hello there, turtle called out. How are you? Monkey nodded in greeting. He was doing fine, definitely holding it all together, not just one nice question away from a breakdown. Of course, his ensuing breakdown told Turtle that that was a lie. The truth is, I'm dying, he began. You see, all of us monkeys had found this farmer guy who had all the squash, I mean, like, a ton of squash. It was amazing. I had never seen so much squash before. Anyway, we were all supposed to share it, right? But then it happened so fast. All the other monkeys took it all. They stole it. Poof, just like that. It was gone, and there wasn't any left for me. And because they took it all, I had nothing to eat. Turtle stood there, which means I'm mouth agape, as he listened to Monkey's story. Like, I am dying. By now, Monkey was inconsolable, falling apart and pacing up and down the bank. The sad creature was having a really bad day, maybe even a bad week or month, thought Turtle. Man, he was in rough shape. So the Turtle decided that he would lend a helping hand, or whatever the Turtle appendage is called. Whoa, 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 big guy, take it easy, Turtle broke in, his stubby, stump-like leg rubbing the monkey's back. There's no need to get discouraged. Would getting a knife and stealing some banana plants help you feel better? The monkey sniffled, wiped his eyes, and nodded. Yeah, yeah, that would help. Turtle pointed his stubby little leg to a nearby tree. There's a bolo knife back there, big guy. Go get it, and let's go steal us some banana plants, buddy. It'll be all right. Seeing as how Monkey had very few options, he agreed. He found the knife among the brush, and off the pair went down the bank in search of banana trees. (music) 
It was over an hour later when Turtle finally found what he was really looking for, a smile on Monkey's face. It was small, but things were really starting to look up for the little guy, and Turtle was determined to show his new friend that it would really be okay. The parrot found a couple of nice banana plants, dug them up, and after committing Grand Theft Banana Plant, hightailed it out of there as fast as Turtle could go. So, what do we do now? Monkey asked eagerly, hefting his stolen prize. Turtle led his new friend to the perfect spot. Well, now we plant, he said. We plant and we wait. Monkey grinned even bigger. This was going to be awesome. I mean, growing our own food? What a brilliant idea. He looked quickly all around. Bananas came from trees. So, duh, the best place to plant was obviously up in a tree. Monkey bounded up the nearest trunk and set his plant down among the leaves. Turtle was waving his little leg in the air trying to get Monkey's attention to tell him that that wasn't how planting worked. But he was only met with Monkey's proud call from the tree. When my tree gets fruit, oh man, I'm going to sell it and be so rich. Turtle cocked a non-existent turtle eyebrow. Huh. He guessed the thrill of the heist must have overshadowed Monkey's appetite. Turtle rolled his eyes at the ridiculousness of the friendly Monkey as he planted his own tree in the ground with care. Well, when my tree has fruit, I think I'll sell it for some cloth. Fixing up the old shell's been on my turtle to-do list for quite some time. Maybe shine it up with some turtle wax or something. Monkey smiled at Turtle's strong pun game. Climbing down the tree and standing once again next to Turtle, Monkey patted his buddy on his chipped and dented shell. This was going to be great. Weeks later, Turtle and Monkey eagerly returned to their respective banana plants, ready for the harvest. Should be about time, Monkey announced. He was really looking forward to tasting some sweet, ripe banana after waiting for so long. Stepping into the clearing, each looked hopefully on their own plant. Turtle stretched his neck high in the air, squinting through the sunlight. His tree was now tall, strong, and overflowing with bananas, most of which had turned golden yellow and prime for the taking. Monkey, however, stood crimacine, his eyes darting jealously between the turtle's rich tree and his own dry and withered ghost of a tree in the air. Having no place to take root, or any dirt at all, Monkey's plant was dead. Turtle nodded. That's what he said when Monkey planted the tree. That's what he had been telling Monkey for weeks. Monkey buried his face in his hands, feeling another breakdown coming. There will be no sweet banana harvest for him, no profit at the market, no riches, Unless, without hesitation, Monkey darted up the turtle's tree, shouting that he would climb up to the top so they could collect all the fruit. But he didn't look down from the top, didn't listen for his friend's reply, and never noticed Turtle at the bottom, hopeful and willing to share the fruit of his labor. Monkey? Hello? Buddy? Turtle called up the tree. He hooked his mouth around some bark and scraped his flat little feet on the tree as he tried to climb but he made it exactly three inches off the ground before plopping right back down in the dirt. He called up again. Monkey? How is it up there? Hey, uh, you gonna send me down something to eat? Monkey? Monkey? Turtle heard Monkey's response, a crashing through the branches above, and then he felt Monkey's response with a smack in the face. Stunned, Turtle saw what Monkey had sent him, a hard, unripe, 
green banana. He took a few steps backward, shaking off his surprise to inspect the banana, but it was inedible. The peel was still too attached, and the fruit itself hard and bitter. One by one, all the golden yellow bananas began to disappear above, and muffled laughter rained down from the sky. Time passed, and shadows danced on the bank. And still, Monkey continued eating greedily until all the ripe bananas were gone. He had eaten every last one and shared none with Turtle. Patting his nearly distended stomach, Monkey burped aloud, stretched and yawned, and settled into the top of the tree for a long afternoon nap. It was good to be full again. Instinctively, Monkey wrapped his arms around a clump of leaves, murmuring something about the perfect meal as his eyes rolled back and disappeared into a post-banana coma. Crocodile, help! Crocodile's on the way! Came the distressed cry from below, startling Monkey from his food coma. Turtle? Monkey shot straight up, heart racing. What the? Right, banana tree, full stomach, nap. Quickly, he remembered. Did he dare look over the edge of his cushion of leaves at the hunting ground below? He really didn't want to face Turtle, but he had to look had to know where the crocodile lurked. A branch snapped somewhere behind him from the ground. A monkey instinctively jumped. Scrambling, he struggled to recenter his balance among the leaves, but it was too wobbly. He swung his tail around, contorted his body to try and grip, even flexed his little monkey toes, but he slipped. His front hands grasped vainly at the treetop as he plummeted through the air. He knew he would have to run at the first touch of dirt if he wanted to live. There would be no fight, only flight. And even then, the crocodile might still be. Monkey lurched, his breath gone. There was no dirt, no sand, and his legs were useless. He wasn't on the ground. He didn't lay. He hung. He hung there, the bamboo spear that had been set out for him, by the crocodile, no doubt, protruding from his stomach. He was a motionless monkey kebab. There was no sign of turtle anywhere either. His cries also gone. Monkey grappled at the red pole in confusion. Details of the world quickly fading into nothing. Nothing, save the dark green mass pounding toward him in the mist. And in his hand, a hatchet. By now, the sun was setting over the horizon. Beautiful pinks and blues danced into oranges and reds across the sky, but there was still enough light to see as the green, scaled foot padded strips of meat on the bank. Monkey meat, salted to perfection and hacked into manageable sized pieces. Everything had gone according to plan, and Turtle surveyed his handiwork. It was exhausting, but Monkey hadn't struggled much. Tomorrow morning it will be dry, he said to no one. It will be dry, and I can go to the mountains. With that, Turtle shook his head and went to bed. Little did the late monkey know, or care, 
But for Turtle on the ground that day, Monkey's silence in the tree had been deafening. The smack of his greedy lips eating all the bananas disgusting and his selfishness infuriating. So that was how it was going to be. Turtle had thought to himself as the hunger pains reared again from within, adding to his growing rage. Images of the once sad and starving monkey had flashed before him. A montage of their friendship journey. Stealing plants together, eagerly planting, waiting, getting to know each other, and then monkey stealing. Stealing them all. Monkey was a thief, and he would pay. Earlier that day, while the sun still hung high in the sky, and Monkey lay fast asleep in the air, Turtle had time to think. Think? And plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Monkey had been out for at least a couple hours by now. He'd eaten all the good bananas. Every last one. And it wasn't right. Monkey slept with no sign of remorse. No awareness of how wrong he had been. But that was okay. He'd learn. Turtle would make sure he learned. And so, while Monkey slumbered, Turtle had been busy. Carefully, he gathered all the sharpest bamboo he could find in the surrounding brush. Then, all around the tree, Turtle arranged the pieces upright in the ground like spears, their sharpest points reaching up toward their target. When at last the plan was ready, Turtle took a few steps backward and glanced once more to the top of the tree. Monkey hadn't moved at all. Crocodile! Crocodile's coming! shouted Turtle, startling Monkey. He'd watched as Monkey leapt up in the air, panic written across his face. It had gone better than planned. Scrambling, greedy Monkey had plummeted to his untimely death. There had been no crocodile, only Monkey's poor decisions. Well, 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 what do we have here? Said one monkey to the others. He pointed into the distance. Trudging up to their mountain hideout was a turtle hefting a sack. No one recognized the creature, even though he seemed to be looking for them. A turtle waved and shouted something about being there in just a minute. A turtle minute, so like an hour and a half. It was a bright and sunny day, and all the monkeys bounded over the ledge, watching and waiting. Turtle really pushed it. And finally, he arrived at the monkey hideout. <sighs> Talk about cardio, he greeted. One by one, the monkeys began surrounding their visitor as the lead monkey took a step forward, demanding to know why the turtle had come. Turtle threw up his hands. Whoa, hey now, I just came to trade some goods. He immediately dropped a sack, revealing a pile of salted meat inside. One of the monkeys jumped with excitement before regaining his composure. Turtle continued. I've been craving a nice little bit of squash lately. Can't get it out of my head, really. I I don't suppose you might know where I could get some, hmm? A hopeful grin spread across Turtle's face. Already watering at the mouth, the troop of monkeys began elbowing one another gently, like a string of dominoes, until the last one nudged the ringleader. He was the biggest and clearly the toughest of the entire tribe. So you've come to take our squash, have you? He barked. Turtle smiled sheepishly. I mean... If you guys like meat and have a lot of squash, maybe we could trade. Here's how this is going to go, interrupted the lead monkey. 
You give us your sack of salted meat, and you can have your fill of squash. Turtle nodded. Yeah, that that's what the word trade meant? That's exactly what he was hoping for. He beamed and pushed a sack of meat across the grass. The monkeys licked their chops. Bring the squash! The monkeys fought each other to get to the sack. Claws and elbows flew as they shoved as much of the strange meat as they could get into their mouths. The leader turned to Turtle as the little guy stacked squash into a second sack, and the leader started to ask what this strange meat was that he had never tasted before. But in his distraction, he nearly lost a spot around the bag to another hungry monkey, so he figured he would ask later. Turtle couldn't help but chuckle to himself as he started his way back down the mountain, squash in hand. Look at them. Just disgusting. He turned away, but stopped himself mid-step. You know what? What could be even better than watching these monkeys cannibalize this new meat that they had never tasted before? It was seeing their faces upon realizing that they were eating monkey. Hey, hey you. Yeah, I'm talking to you, you lazy monkeys, the bold turtle shouted. All the monkeys stopped and looked up. You're eating your own body, you know that? Yeah, you're eating monkey. The monkeys looked down at the strips of meat, then back to the smiling turtle, then back to the strips of meat. A cacophony of coughing, dry heaving, and straight up vomiting boomed from the mountain hideout as the full reckoning of what turtle had said began to sink in. Then, as soon as the disgust settled, rage began to boil deep within the monkeys. They took one look at turtle, beating a hasty getaway down the mountain and took off after the deceptive creature. Unfortunately, Turtle's hasty getaway was a hasty turtle getaway. For all of Turtle's planning and scheming, screaming back just what they were eating was a particularly poor decision. First, he really wasn't far enough away at this point. And he also hadn't worn his running shoes, but that honestly wouldn't have made a difference because in a matter of a few leaps and bounds, the monkeys were upon him. They howled and jumped, grabbing at his arms and head. I imagine him popping inside his shell to avoid the mob, only to find himself airborne as the tribe picked him up and carried him away. Turtle would go to their house for what he had done, and he would pay. Give him the hatchet, shrieked one of the monkeys. Cut him into tiny pieces like he did to monkey. The mob spiraled into a deeper anger, spurred on by their mutual hatred for Turtle and his deception. Three monkeys ran through the crowd, the hatchet held high above their heads as the group parted around them. Turtle tried desperately to keep his cool, but this was getting quickly out of hand. Uh, cool guys, you really do have a hatchet. Oh, oh man, this? A hatchet? Yeah, this is what I really like to see. You know, I've been hit by a hatchet a lot. Like, so many times. Yeah, I mean, see all these dark scars across my shell? The hatchet bearers were the first to look at Turtle's shell. And as the disappointment began stealing the wind from their sails, Turtle knew he still had a chance. The angry troop began to fall silent as all the monkeys squeezed in tightly to take a look at Turtle's shell for themselves. Sure enough, there were many dark scars on it. Clearly, Turtle had been through this before and it hadn't been enough. 
Anger gave way to disappointment and confusion until one young monkey at the back had another idea. Throw him in the water, he hollered, and immediately the mob returned, stronger than before. Yeah, throw him in the sea, came the chant, as the hatchet bears quickly became turtle bears and hefted the heavy shell once more. It was a struggle for the monkeys, but they managed. Turtle craned his neck, but couldn't see where they were headed through the thick wave of monkeys all around. Guys, 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 let's talk about this, Turtle shouted. He implored them to be reasonable. Please, spare his life. But there would be no mercy for Turtle. Hands grabbed him from every angle. The monkeys chanting in unison louder and louder. Forward and backward they swung him, until at last they let go, and all fell silent. From the cliff, all the monkeys' mouths fell open and eyes bulged, captivated by the flying turtle. Then, as turtle plunged into the water below, they cheered, justice had been served. The elder monkeys nodded with satisfaction, still scowling, while the younger ones high-fived all around. Someone started passing out pieces of squash as the group settled onto the cliff, watching, waiting for bubbles and a shell to surface belly up but there was nothing. Turtle had apparently sank all the way to the bottom. Of course, Turtle hadn't sunk at all. He dove into the water, his giant grin breaking the surface. Once below, Turtle swam deep. He was searching for something. Ah, there it was. Moments later, the top of Turtle's head bobbed above the surface. One of the monkeys pointed, and all the heads leaned over the cliff. What the? With all the eyes on him, Turtle surged to the surface, revealing his prize. A giant, tasty lobster. A chorus of gasps, oohs, and ahs rippled through the troop, as curiosity turned to amazement upon the cliff. Who knew that turtles could swim, except pretty much everybody? This was a total surprise, and it was awesome. Teach us how to catch lobsters, Turtle, begged the monkeys. The young ones were eager, and the elders were salivating. They jumped up and down, motioning enthusiastically from the mountainside. How quickly they changed their tune. But Turtle was on board, really anything to not have a pack of vengeful monkeys after him. When at last Turtle reached the top of the cliff, so like six hours later, he addressed the crowd. Lobsters? They're delicious. But they're bottom feeders. The monkeys nodded. Of course, they knew that and weren't just pretending to look smart in front of the turtle. So, the turtle continued, you have to get down to them. It was simple, actually. Take a string, tie one end around your waist, like so, and then you tie the other around a stone. Oh, and make sure it's fairly big, too, so you sink. That's how you get to the lobsters. All the monkeys stared intently at turtle, barely blinking. Are, are you serious right now? Someone asked from the back. Turtle stared back and swallowed a lump in his throat. Yes? Then, without warning, absolute chaos broke out across the cliff. Monkeys darted this way and that, some searching for a string, others piling large rocks at the water's edge. Fists flew as they fought over some of the strings until Turtle walked over and snipped them in half. 
there. There will be lobster enough for everyone. They began tying strings around the middles. Parents double-checked strings around their kiddos, making sure everything was snug. And there was Turtle, at the shoreline, helping the monkeys attach themselves to the rocks. When at last everything was ready, all the monkeys lined up on the cliff, ready to dive into the water below. There would be so many lobsters that night. How could they thank Turtle enough? Turtle smiled and nodded. It was nothing. One by one, the monkeys jumped off the edge, rocks in hand, as they cannonballed into the waves, hooting and hollering as they fell. From the empty cliff, Turtle stood, captivated by the final flying monkey. It wasn't a graceful flight, and the poor fellow lost control of his rock halfway down. The rock hit the water first, and immediately pulled the young, struggling monkey beneath the surface. Bubbles danced for a moment, then all fell still, and still it remained, even after the sun began to set across the water. Beautiful pinks and blues danced into oranges and reds across the sky, but there was still enough light to see it. The rounded silhouette at the top of the mountain, tufts of grass swaying gently in the breeze, and no one, as far as the eye could see, After the sunset, Turtle climbed back to the now deserted monkey hideout, found the bag of squash, and he finally enjoyed a quiet dinner to himself. As the story goes, monkeys remember this story and, to this day, still don't like eating meat. Also, I'll mention that today's turtle is different from the West African turtle stories we told in the podcast. They're both tricky, but the West African turtle trickster is an agent of chaos who never wants to do any work and only wants to get rich by trickery. This turtle, though also tricky, only did what he did to survive. He doesn't mind work, but if you try to con him, watch out because he's apparently not afraid to get shockingly brutal. Next week, it's a rare week where there won't be a new episode. It'll give us some time to work on some other projects. So if you're looking for something to listen to in the meantime, our other podcast, Fictional, has three seasons out. You can find it at fictional.fm and catch up before the new season premieres in April. So in two weeks, we'll be telling the story of the Goose Girl from the Grimm Brothers. And in three weeks... We'll be getting back into the Arthurian legends with the standalone story of Tristan and Isold. It's gonna be a fun month. I wanna say thanks to Emmy Dub, Brian Eat World, Fox is the Master, Adair, My Jeep, Kibo38, CCTJs, Failing Physics, AMC Comer, Odysseus, Tavi Moon, D Shepherd98, Gamer Gal, Three Angry Emoji Faces, DJS Cloud, The Key Three and Mountain Giraffe for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and taking the time to write a review. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com.
The creature this week is the Loathly Worm, from English folklore. The Loathly Worm is a dragon, but it's called a worm because, one, that was the name for a type of dragon, and two, it's basically like a big, angry worm with two claws on the front. It comes from a ballad written in the 17th century, which supposedly comes from a mountain bard song in the 12th century. And yeah, mountain bard might just be my new dream job. In the bard song, Margaret's father, the king, didn't know that you definitely shouldn't marry someone who calls herself a wicked witch queen and who has actual imp minions following her around. And barring that, you should, under no circumstances, leave her alone with your beautiful daughter. Not having any pretense as to what she was doing, the Wicked Witch Queen immediately banished the princess to live in the Spindleson Hills and, as a minor point, transformed her into a hideous, poison-spewing dragon. The problem with a poison-spewing dragon? It tends to attract a lot of attention. Aside from the poison itself killing people, there was the problem of the dragon blighting the land for miles around. The people were so distraught that they got enough money together to hire a local warlock who told them, yeah, that's Princess Margaret. And the only person who can save her is her brother, Child Wind. Child Wind was off adventuring with his 30 buddies. When he heard about how his sister had been turned into a dragon, he and his buddies got together and swore to end the scourge and free his sister. They built a ship and sailed for home. Cut to a couple weeks later, the rain is pouring down at night and the dragon princess, under the control of the wicked witch queen, is guarding the entrance to the harbor. As the witch queen is standing there, flanked by her army of evil imps, the dragon shoots into the water at the first sight of the ship, easily fits it in her jaws, and proceeds to thrash it against the rocks until all but Child Wind are dead. Child Wind was standing there on the rocks, with his Jormagander-sized sister looming over him. But then, the dragon stopped. The rain came down all around them. The dragon only looked at the young man. The witch queen commanded her to kill him. But the sister, deep within, recognized her brother and took control. She refused to follow the order, and the magic broke. The dragon caught sight of the witch queen fleeing, but she didn't follow. She looked down at her brother, and she told him to kiss her. Uh, what? I imagine Child Wind saying. The dragon nodded. Kiss her three times. Right on the lips. Prince paused, but she's his sister. And a dragon. Rage in the dragon's eyes flared. Yeah, she was a dragon. And she's fighting against the dragon's desire to devour the guy. So, if he wanted to see his sister again, and not see the inside of a dragon's stomach then it was time to get kissing. So Child Wind did. He kissed his sister three times on the lips, and on the third, she was instantly standing there naked, which was probably uncomfortable for all involved. When they returned to the castle, they confronted the Witch Queen, and with a touch of the rowan tree that had made up the keel of the ship and protected the prince from the witch's magic when making his landing, she was turned into a dragon herself. Child Wind eventually became king, and everyone lived happily ever after, except for the Witch Queen, who would live as a poisonous dragon until the end of time in a cave, and everyone else who lived around there, who it poisoned with impunity. Because I guess if the dragon isn't a trapped princess, it's not really enough of a problem if it's only harassing and poisoning common people. That's it for this week. Missing Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.